It was a large, dim, dingy room. Down one side was a long bar, where both light and patrons clustered like moths around a flame. The other side stretched off into the gloom, and the far wall was more imagined than seen. It was a gray kind of group, slack-faced and withdrawn. The only thing they seemed to have in common is the desire to be lonely, but not alone. Conversations such as they existed were murmured and sharp-edged. Suddenly laughter cut through the air like lightning through a cloud. It was as out of place as a white elephant, and all turned in that direction. In a corner, on the far side of the room, was an old wing-back chair, almost invisible in the gloom. And maybe that was a man sitting in it, but no one was sure. The voice that followed was deep and clear. It said, In a room full of untold stories, it's a pity no one will share. Well, here is my story, and may it give tongue to your own. In this story, the concept of balance and karma are intertwined. The Survivor by Edwin G. Wood As the two men lay on the sand that night, it seemed to John Benz that he could reach up over his head and pluck a handful of the coldly glittering stars. So near did they seem. They were bright tonight. They tortured him, seemed to mock his suffering. There was one star that fascinated him. It was larger and brighter than the rest, and he lay staring at it until his eyes smarted. He licked his dry lips, running his tongue between them, and cringed at the file-like rasp. He stole a look at his companion lying near and slyly drew the canteen with its fast-diminishing precious contents to his mouth and had no thought for his weaker companion, Dick Webb. When Dick could not suppress a groan, Ben's close-set eyes narrowed and gleamed evilly, and he muttered implications against the frailer man. He was angry with Webb. The two had had an argument concerning the world-old law of the survival of the fittest. He had contended that the law among men held the same as it did among the brute creation. The strong survived, the weak perished. Didn't all the big animals prey upon the smaller ones? Of course. Webb pointed out that brains were far superior to brute strength and that brute strength frequently defeated its own purpose. His argument had been convincing enough to arouse the ire of Benz. He knew that Webb was his superior so far as intellect went, and it angered him. Well, he'd show the weakling that there was another way of taking care of yourself besides using physical strength. There was a fox-like cunning that didn't require the brains that Webb seemed to think he had either. If it were not for that puny web, he, Benz, the stronger of the two, and therefore the more fit to live, might have a chance, a fighting chance, of getting out of the desert alive. They were lost. What food they had carried with them was gone, and the water was running low. Water was the worst problem. The moisture of the body dries up rapidly in those hot sands. Benz's tongue was rough, his throat beginning to ache, his lips to crack. The two men could not last much longer. One of them simply must be left there. 
Which one? Not Ben's. He loved life too well to think of sacrificing it for a weakling, whom, in his opinion, the world would never miss. And Ben's himself was normally a strong man. Ben's fear of death was a morbid one. It was this fear that had led him from the beginning of their mishap to take craftily more than his portion of the water and give Dick less. It was all Dick's fault anyway, for had he not gotten Ben's into this fool's chase after gold, he cursed himself for having been so silly as to be led away from his former life where he had lived fairly well on what he could pick up by his wits. The man at his side stirred, mumbled something in a half-delirious way, and then asked for water. Ben sat up, his little eyes that were set almost onto the sides of his nose glaring at Webb. You've had your share, he snarled. Water, the weaker man croaked insistently, holding out a tin cup. Ben's would not permit the other to drink from the canteen. The risk of his getting more than his share was too great. Benz had carried through the bluff at economizing by pointing out to Dick that it was better to measure his allowance. He was scrupulous in doling out his own portion when Dick was looking. Then later, he always tapped the canteen on the sly. He carried the canteen containing what was left of the water himself, under an apparently generous impulse. He was the stronger of the two, therefore the one to shoulder the most of the burden. Dick again held out his cup in a trembling hand and demanded a drink. Hell, snarled Benz. He moved his hand impatiently toward the canteen, paused. Why should he waste the precious life-sustaining fluid on this half-dead man? He couldn't last. That was evident. Every drop that Dick drank now lessens Ben's chance of getting out. It was a sinful waste to pour the water down the throat of a man so nearly gone. It would be much better to let the poor devil die and be done with it. It would really a mercy to put him out of his misery. Of course it would. Nobody'd ever know the difference. And then Ben's would have a chance, a small chance of pulling through. He had never killed a man. The thought of murder made him creepy. But this feeling was not born of any value he placed on the life of a fellow human. It was rather the dread of punishment and a superstitious fear. He had heard of men who had taken life being ever after unable to sleep, the victim being always present in the slayer's imagination. All rot, of course, but the thought made his scalp prickle. But this would not be murder. It would simply be the old, old law of self-preservation. Dick was becoming impatient in his demands for water. You haven't been playing fair, you swindling thief, he finally cried out in a weak voice. At the thought of his having been discovered, Ben's hot anger flared up as though the accusation had been unjust. Hate filled him, and his hand moved back, shot forward. A spurt of flame leaped out, and the pleading Dick slumped to the sand. Ben's deathly sick now mopped his face with a shaking hand and stood staring dazedly at the thing on the ground. Then he backed away. God, he mumbled as he looked in fascination at the huddled form. At last, tearing his eyes from the horrible object, he turned and ran frantically, stumbling over the uneven ground, following again and again, 
up again, and on and on until he fell exhausted. He lay panting for some time. He did not know how long, with eyes wide open. After a while, he began to doze fitfully, only to awaken each time with a start, for the figure with the cup was always before him. He reenacted the scene time and again. The pleading man, the flash of the gun, the slow sinking to the ground of his companion. At last he became calmer, got up, and started on again. He hadn't any idea of which way he had been running. It might have been in a circle. That would never do. He must find something to go by. There was that bright star over there, the one that had fascinated him so, hanging above the horizon. If he kept toward that, he could at least keep a general course. Good old star. He'd follow it as long as it shone. He staggered on. If only he could get rid of that infernal thing before his eyes that huddled on the ground. But wouldn't he have been a fool to give away the water? Wouldn't he? He had as good a right to his life as any other fellow. Sure, a better right than that thing he had left back there. It would have died anyway. He stopped and stared beginning to sweat. The faint shadows cast by the sand dunes assumed grotesque shapes. One of the smaller sand heaps looked like that thing. He leaned forward, peering intently. He could have sworn it moved. He laughed aloud. He was a fool to get the jumps that way. Then he tumbled on again. To his horror, he had forgotten to drink, although his throat was torturing him. He imagined another one of those damnable shapes moved. He went forward and kicked at it savagely. He went on again, staggering, half delirious, and growing weak in his knees. Suddenly he again stopped and stared. Still another shape. Well, he wouldn't be fooled this time. He staggered forward to kick it. The thing sat up and held out that intolerable cup. Binge plunged forward and fell on his face. The shape crawled to his side, fell over him, searching for the canteen, finally found it, raised it to its lips, and sucked at the contents, then tried feebly to turn the fallen bins over to pour the few remaining drops of water down his throat. At daylight, a party of men found two bodies lying on the sand. A man stooped over one of them. This here guy, he said, is breathing yet. Looks like he's been burnt with a bullet side of his head. Ain't nothing much the matter but starvation, though. Reckon we can bring him around all right. What about the other one, Bill? Bill turned the other body over. Two close-set little eyes stared up at the sky, which they did not see. Couldn't be deader, announced Bill. It's funny, too, he went on musingly, that this guy should be the first to peter out. He's a whole lot huskier than the other one. The End As the end faded away, the group seemed to shake and whimper like a puppy coming out of a deep sleep. The room grew brighter and people started talking to their neighbor, telling marvelous stories. No one noticed that in the now visible far corner, stood an old chair occupied only by an overcoat.